Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. It's time for Tuesday Terror here on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG-13, suggesting that all children under the age of 13 should listen accompanied with an adult. Hello, strange world. Welcome to the Aldergate Papers. My name is Adrian Ward, and these singed and crumpled pages are my diary, a record of the final days of my former life. I remember almost nothing of the story they contain. All I know is that it ends with me very nearly being killed and that it may not be entirely unrelated to some of the strange things that seem to be happening lately. If there's any truth in the odd fragments of memory that I just can't seem to shake, well, there are things you deserve to know. Things that may help you to understand what's going on, and what's coming. When we left our hero, the future stood upon the edge of a knife. His personal, oh-so-secret agenda is a matter of life or death, and not just his own. Whether or not that agenda succeeds, however, is a matter that rests in the hands of the University Council, the members of which he has kept waiting for over an hour now. This is Day 7. Part 6. Night of the Dawn of an Era It is the seventh day of the return to Watergate. The time and place of writing is after one o'clock in the morning, in the Arkwell Privy Library, atop the manse of the Vice-Chancellor. We begin. They really ought to have warned you. Not that they could have known, and with luck they'll never find out, but, well, for a chap who's done more than his fair share of seeing and hearing things that do not, strictly speaking, exist, sudden voices from the void raise uncomfortable questions. You went into self-defense mode, Diverted all power to the cloaking shields. With a supreme effort, you smiled an easy smile, and fussed with a bit of loose tape on your bandaged hand, and generally did a pretty fair impression of someone who didn't hear anything and doesn't know what you're talking about. Hmm. All this play-acting was lost on the University Council. 
They had turned to look at a stern-faced young woman in a chalk-striped charcoal suit who now stepped forward and approached you. She stopped just outside of handshaking range and tipped back her head. The green pinprick light and the bridge of her glasses alerted you that she was broadcasting. You noticed then that she was wearing not one, but two name tags. The one high on her left lapel read, Hello, my name is Cassie Okeke. The one dangling from the chunky black pendant round her neck read, Hello, my name is Jeffrey Arkwell. The pendant spoke again. On behalf of the Council, may I say that it is our pleasure to greet you. And it will be our pleasure to serve and to support you in the great task which lies before you. You are called to lead an ancient and unique institution, the headwaters of a spring that flows from the bedrock of humanity. The University of Aldergate is history's author and its scribe, and you are the heir to that sacred trust, which has passed through the hands of fifty remarkable persons before you. The pendant paused. Then... It was with great sorrow that we marked the passing of Sir Reginald Cardew. It is with great joy and perfect confidence that we welcome you as Vice-Chancellor. I know that I speak for my colleagues of the Council when I say, Let us eat. The pendant broke off. Miss Okeke executed a backward swivel step to bring the interruptor into frame. She needn't have bothered. Said interruptor, a minuscule Vietnamese woman with a face like a desiccated pear, had broken from the herd and was headed straight for you. Talk and talk. Even a robot should have run out of breath. Her stilettos clacked like pistol fire on the stone. Her marigold silk cocktail dress blazed in the candlelight as she seized you by the elbow. You must have looked utterly gobsmacked, because she burst out laughing, revealing a startlingly pearly set of gnashes. Then, regaining control, she directed a piercing glare at the expressionless Miss Okeke. No more speeches, she crowed. Geoffrey does not care, because he only gets paste to eat, but we have got fishes waiting. She flashed that dazzling mouthful of hers at you reassuringly, then gave your arm a ferocious tug, and it was off to dinner. Well, with that, the ice did split with a thunder fit. The refectory rang with laughter, and it was matiness all round. You managed to squeeze in a few hail-fellows well-met on your way to the groaning board, but only in passing. Your tiny escort may have been smiling to blind the sun, but she wasn't joking. She is Dr. Elodie Tran, head of Gambrel College, actually. When you learned that, you felt a momentary twinge of guilt. You really ought to have sought her out first you arrived and certainly before you went poking around her college cum crime scene. 
Then again, it's not as if she was there on the manse's doorstep to greet you either. Hmm, yes, and thereby hangs a tale, more of which anon. But first, dinner. On less historic occasions, there are probably five or six other long tables in the refectory. The soppers could hardly have tempted Gertie Alstrom to come here if they only let her feed a few dozen mouths a night. On this night, however, all the rest had been cleared away, and the lone table seemed an isolated island at the heart of the green glass bubble. You were probably meant to sit down at the far end, that signal honor that ensures you can't really talk to anyone, but everyone can watch you chew. Fortunately, Dr. Tran parked you next to her, halfway down, and the rest of the party trickled in around you. Somewhere, a gong sounded. A platoon of white-gloved waiters materialized all round, and a journey of thirteen courses had begun. <sighs> There's a frame for your narrative, eh, Silver Diarist? Thirteen-course meal, thirteen members of the University Council. Yes, yes, and now that you think about it, that's got to have been the whole point. Clever little Adrian, he gets there in the end. Well, fine, but it's still a good fame for introducing the Council. If nothing else, it may help you keep them straight in your head, which is the whole point of this, after all. Just don't have too much fun, will you? It really is getting terribly late, and tomorrow's going to be an utter beast of a day. It's not just mystery you've got to meet. There's this whole ceremony after the ceremony you've got to do, running round all the colleges so the heads all get the chance to either murder you or bestow their blessing. Ah, tradition... Then there's that do at Regent House in the evening. Sweet mercy, you may not survive your first day on the job. Well, do what you can. Not as if you could actually work through all of the darker implications of this evening's revelations. Not if you wrote through to next week. You can knock off when you must and pick it up later. Only way, really. Uh, may as well take the courses and the council as they come. Right. So, start with the hors d'oeuvres and your new pal, Dr. Tran. Green olive and elderflower panna cotta, with something ever so slightly spicy going on just beneath the surface. You thought it was quite all right, but Dr. Tran's bouche was unamused. She glared at the silky little disc, scraped it up onto her knife, sucked it down without ceremony, and made a sort of gyrational hand signal at the service staff to move things along. <laughs> She's all right, is Elodie Tran. As the evening progressed and she got a few calories inside her, she became perfectly charming. 
She's intimately, even disconcertingly, familiar with your own career. And she had fascinating tales to tell about her days at the Princeton IAS, back when she was a mere slip of a mathematician, mostly involving her unsuccessful attempts to boff Kurt Girdle. Next came the soup. Mock Mock Turtle Consomme. No idea what that means. Wouldn't a Mock Mock Turtle just be a turtle? Anyhow, the soup itself was perfectly clear, entirely colorless, and tasted like mortal sin. Dr. Tran drank hers straight from the bowl, and would have had yours too if you hadn't polished it off just as quick. You could both have learned a thing or two from the chap just across the table, however, in this course and in all that followed. A truly magnificent trencherman. The tidy effortlessness with which he tucked away bowl after plate after platter rather made you wonder if it might be possible to enter him in some sort of contest. He is Boris Borodine, a grand lugubrious Georgian, formerly of the United Nations, currently head of Salton House. His Wikipedia notes that, as Undersecretary General of the UN Department of Political Affairs, he was famous, or infamous, for luring conflicting parties around the bridge table. He would then gently turn their heads inside out, make them burble all their strategies and subterfuges, and leave them with empty wallets and equitable settlements. Not clear whether he used cards as an excuse for diplomacy, or diplomacy as an excuse for cards. Either way, he is a potential liability, this Borodine. He doesn't talk much, but what he does say gets others saying a good deal. You've no idea what to make of him as a potential foe or ally, but he did wear proper evening dress. That's a point for him in your book even if his bow-tie was a bit foxed and droopy. The soup was accompanied by a thimble of Amontillado, which you disregarded. After your imprisonment in the manse's cellar, it will be a long while before you touch fortified wine again. On to the third course. Swordfish with lime and capers. Looked excellent, smelled divine. No doubt it would have paired beautifully with the crisp Moselle. But instead you will pair it with Dr. Sahan, because she, like the swordfish, did not figure in your dining experience. The fish went to Dr. Tran as an act of mercy. She'd clearly fixated on the fishy as the star of the evening's performance. And when the plates came down, she stared at her bite-sized portion with a disappointment that broke your heart. So you offered her a blind trade, your fish for her bit of whatever came next, and the deal was done. Call it a poisson redistribution. <laughs> As for Dr. Sahan, you probably won't have the option to trade her in. But do keep on the lookout. She embodies everything despicable about your millennial generation, which is particularly galling in a woman in her sixties. 
She's the one who thought she could get away with blue jeans under her master's robe. She spent the entire evening silently pecking away at her phone. She is the head of Free Hall. Perhaps you oughtn't to be surprised. You may as well wrap up the Elector's Collegium. Match the one council member you didn't get enough of with the one course of which you got too much. Not that it was bad, mind you. It was very good. Very good indeed. But there is such a thing as too much experimentation. You've eaten cultured meat before, dozens of times. Back when Bells went vegan, it seemed as if you couldn't turn round without being force-fed cowless beef and pigless bacon. Or fine, or dandy. But after you'd agreed to swap with Dr. Tran, after, mind, she gave you a copy of the evening's menu that she'd filched from somewhere. Thus, you discovered that you'd stumbled into a double portion of braised filet au coin. Yes. Now, there are doubtless plenty of people named Coin in this wide, weird world. The only one you know of is Bridget Coin, long-time head at Barrow Hall. And Barovians are known for their unique sense of humor. You looked at the two succulent cubes of anonymous flesh and ate one of them. Absolutely delicious. The other you wrapped in a napkin and slipped into your pocket. When you go to Midwinter Hill tomorrow for your meeting with Mystery, you can have it DNA tested. Find out just what it is, or whom. The member with whom you wished you'd had a bit more time is Lord Toby. Not sure what he's lord of, but you remember seeing him strolling about with Sir Reggie back in the old days. All makes sense now. He's head of Newgrave, Sir Reggie's old college. Marvelously placid fellow, great roomy blue eyes, tailcoat a mothy old relic, half yellow with chalk dust. Lord Toby was seated on your side of the table and two to your left, and he kept so quiet during the meal that you hadn't a chance to say two words to him until the very end. When you went to greet him, he accepted your hand politely, but then didn't seem to know quite what to do with it. He just looked down at his shoes, and in a quiet, almost girlish voice, he said, I'm so sorry about Reg. He didn't do it to spite us, never that but I don't suppose that matters, does it? Oh, well. So much for the college heads. And so far, politically speaking, you consider yourself to be on pretty solid ground. Dr. Tran is going to be a pal, and Lord Toby doesn't seem the sort to kick up a fuss. You know nothing much that's useful about Sahan and Borodin but neither seems to have any sort of vendetta against you. Can't see them digging in their heels just for the sake of strife. They can be bought off one way or another, if necessary. 
and on any college business they really care about, they're bound to split in any case. Ties pay the dealer, so, advantage ward and bravo democracy. From the entrees to the removes, and from the elector's collegium to the elector's scholastic. You must admit that, until you started looking into this university council business, you'd no idea the Aldergate student body even had elected leadership. You certainly never voted for anybody. <sighs> then again, it's been abundantly borne in upon you that young Adrian was only vaguely aware of anything outside the obsession of the day. <sighs> Plus a change. Now, you must confess to having assumed that, well, that anybody involved with student government might turn out to be the sort of person who gets involved with student government. Before long, however, your prejudices came flying back in your face with a whoosh. The fifth course was some sort of terrine of something or other. You shoveled it away without tasting it. So enthralled were you, not to say starstruck, with your neighbor to the left. Yes, the young lady in the faultless tailsuit turned out to be none other than... Ah. <laughs> this is not going to go well. Yes, her name is spelled... Ilkwai... hyphen... Hem. You know what? She said to call her Kwai, so Kwai it is. None other than Kwai, that prodigy of the Kung people of the Kalahari. The one from that Huffpo piece that was everywhere a few years ago. At fifteen years old, she'd been a sort of real life Doc Savage, mechanized her tribal kin and survived two assassination attempts by ranchers who'd have rather she hadn't. A commanding presence has that young lady. Eighteen now, she's at Pelparvis. Perfect English and a dozen other languages. There are altergations, self, and then there are altergations. Kwai is one of the latter. Sixth course was a sorbet of dragon fruit with bay leaves and truffle oil. Light and refreshing. The sixth council member, to your right and on the other side of Dr. Tran, was a twenty-year-old strategy theorist and retired athlete. And you're terribly embarrassed because you can't for the life of you recall his name. He said it. But then he reintroduced himself parenthetically as Imba, his nom de guerre from his competitive days. You seemed to think you might have heard of him, and a bit put out that you hadn't. Before his hands let him down, he says he was a top 20 competitor in games spanning three different categories. Doing your best to keep the conversation alive, you asked him if that was like being an all-star in three different sports, and he said it was more like being a chess grandmaster, an Olympic marathoner, and a Navy SEAL. 
You have no idea how serious and or insufferable he was being. But he did want very much to talk with you about the intersection of game theory and hardcode exploits and... Nah. The Office of Invitation nabbed him the day he left his service with the Korean Air Force. He's at Bester College, naturally. <sighs> you really are getting dreadfully tired. And now... Well, you've already done all the easy ones. The council members whom you don't see being a pain in your ass. The rest of them are all... complicated, in one way or another. Perhaps you should just go to bed now. Let the old subconscious chew on him a bit and see what it spits out. But you've got to at least finish the Elector's Scholastic, haven't you? Just one more to go, and she's a different sort of problem. Not a threat, just an embarrassment. Possibly. Yes. The seventh council member to accompany the roast yucca something or other is Mallory Gray. Yes, Mallory Gray. In her anachronistic gown and shawl, canes hooked over the back of her chair. Such an odd... <sighs> Nouns fail you. You couldn't say if she was 24 or 42. She's at Elden House, apparently. Really, you ought to make quite a pet of her. And she's the connecting thread that finally clued you in that the hooded celebrants at your inauguration were really the council incognito. In every other way, however, she is nothing but a confusion and a complication and a concern. Not least of all because you can't begin to justify feeling that way. Honestly, she... she seems... perfectly nice, really. She barely spoke to you, but not in an I'm-not-speaking-to-you sort of way. She just sat there across from Dr. Tran and had her dinner and... <sighs> I suppose she was a bit standoffish. But was she really? It felt like it, but looking back now, you can't quite defend that impression. All right. It was like this. You were working the table, yes, as one does, making sure nobody feels left out. And you intended to formally, informally meet her, same as the rest. Nice and easy, just sweep her up in the general social flow. But she didn't let you. Every time you realized you hadn't even said hello to her yet, she was... Busy. Not busy doing anything important. Certainly not as important as meeting the new VC. Which was, after all, the whole reason she was there to begin with. And yet, all the while she was chatting or listening or just chewing thoughtfully, she projected this sort of social force field that forbade you to interrupt. 
<sighs> at last, it simply got ridiculous. You'd at least swapped friendly eye contact with everyone else in the room. And when the conversation at your bit of the table lulled for a moment, you said, Hello. And she withdrew her attention from her butter plate or whatever she'd been looking at, and looked at you. She gave you a look of the most wildly, the most maniacally pleasant indifference you've ever received, seen, or read about. She wasn't less interested in you than she had been in the butter plate, and she wasn't more interested either. <laughs> Absolutely brutal. And it got more brutal still. In your arrogance and folly, you'd said hello to her. Well, she said hello to you. And if that was all she felt compelled to muster, you'd have much rather she'd broken it off there and gone back to gazing at the crockery. But no, she was looking at you now. And so... You introduced yourself. Because what the twist else were you meant to do? Utterly, ear-burningly ridiculous, but, well, just on the off chance that she'd not heard the news recently, you informed her that you were Adrian Ward, and she said that she was Mallory Gray. And even after that, you still couldn't get away, because, just as you'd previously been trapped outside her force field, now you're trapped inside it. And the only thing that prevented you doing something desperate with a salad fork was a timely belch from Boris Borodin. Good man. Really underscores the value of having a career diplomat at the dinner table. So, that is Mallory Gray. And really, you'd have thought that she, of all people, could have managed a bit of social theater, because it seems that she's the showmaker or something for the Aldergate players. You know this because, later in the meal, when you'd recovered slightly, you overheard Dr. Tran gushing to her about the Festival of Mutilation. After a bit of eavesdropping, you'd assembled enough clues to realize she was talking about that... that torch-lit grotesquerie on the pent a few nights ago when you reeled out into the rain and ran to Parata's arms after your nightmare. You deduced that Miss Grey was not herself one of the players, but rather the showmaker or something for those performances of theirs. So you stuck on a winning smile and asked her, Oh, are you the showmaker or something for those performances of theirs? She looked at you and said, Yes. You gripped your salad fork. At which point the salad arrived, so that was all right. <sighs> Sweet mercy. Is it... It's not three in the morning. Can't be... Oh, self, self, what have you done to yourself? Tomorrow's going to be torture. Today, today is going to be torture. 
But you have successfully sabotaged any chance you might actually have confronted the ten-ton, rampaging rogue elephant in the room. You've waxed poetic about seven out of the eleven members of the University Council. You may as well just mention the others. Well... There's Birgit de Kaiser, whom you actually know, sort of, from the Wall Street days. Just fine, as far as you know. No reason to believe otherwise, though every reason to be suspicious. Then there's Geoffrey Arkwell, your voice from the void. Simon's father, of course. You remember being vaguely aware of his existence back when you were a lad. You'd known he was an invalid of sorts, though you'd no idea of the extent of his infirmity. You really do feel for the poor fellow. Imagine having a son like Simon, and having to rely on Caps Lock to express what you thought of him. <laughs> Anyhow... From his sanctum down at Wexley House, he sent his eyes and ears and tongue along in the hands of his major-domo. Miss Okeke. You really would like to know what Miss Okeke thinks about. <sighs> Which you never, ever will. The woman didn't say one word of her own the whole evening but you could tell that everything at the table was being recorded, and not just by her talkative pendant. <sighs> yes. Then, there's Sir John. <sighs> that hat and stick, the ones that joined the circle at your inauguration, Merely a placeholder for Black Jack Hoborn. <sighs> How could you ever have doubted it? A moat in every eye and a finger in every pie. That's how we do it. Should have guessed it. How could the bastards not have a toehold on the Aldergate University Council? And, naturally, Sir John couldn't make it to your little welcome reception. He is otherwise engaged. He's in Rome tonight, or Mumbai, or maybe even New York, depending on who called the conclave. Yes, Sir John is terribly busy this evening, trying to get your old buddies to agree to let him kill you. Ah, oh, well... Perhaps, if he gets his way, he'll see fit to attend your funeral. <sighs> so, that's nice, isn't it? <laughs> and that's that, yes? No more to be written, no more to be said. Absolutely, done and dusted. But wait... Oh, what's that? One more member of the council? One more occupant of those incredibly highly valued, no doubt fiercely contested seats that nobody would even try for without a dashed good reason, and probably some sort of hidden agenda? 
Well, yes, now that you mention it. Mustn't forget that vase of lilies at the ceremony. Stand in for another absent member. <sighs> Perhaps it doesn't matter at all now. Or perhaps the missing clue, the key to everything that's going on, lies in the fact that the eleventh member of the Aldergate University Council is... was... Samantha Braden. Well then... So, that's what's got our hero all worried. The University Council is even more of a danger, and far more of a mystery, than he'd anticipated. What's a Vice-Chancellor to do with a notorious, not to mention a homicidal, bastard like Black Jack Hoborn infesting the place? One must also ask, not for the first time, nor doubtless for the last, what can poor murdered Sammy have been up to? We shall just have to see, shan't we? Join me every second Sunday at thealdergatepapers.com Find The Aldergate Papers on Apple Podcasts as well, and spread the word, won't you? This may be my story, but I fear that it's likely to become everybody's problem. Until next time, I am and shall remain your humble servant, Adrian Ward. Hi there. Do you like science fiction and fantasy? Well, you're in luck. Wednesday Wonders is the mutual audio feed that has all things to do with the world of the unknown. Subscribe to the full mutual audio network feed every day for amazing audio, or you can find the Wednesday Wonders for all of your sci-fi and fantasy needs in your favorite podcast player. The Mutual Audio Network. Listening and imagining together.